Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the David Watson podcast. Whenever I do these podcasts, I'm, I always have a genuine interest in the person that I'm talking to, and today was no exception. But we were predominantly talking about the brother and the book the brother wrote, how the brother, due to cancer, is no longer with us. So it's always interesting when you're talking to somebody who on one hand, is possibly still going through the bereavement. And particularly towards the end of the podcast, I ask a particular question. And grief is, is difficult, and it doesn't have a timeline. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Good morning. Welcome to the David Watson podcast, and thank you very much for joining me. How are Hi, you? David. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. And just to thank give people some reference, yeah. I, I was just having a good geography lesson on New York before we started <laughs> recording. Um, and we were just Likewise. doing the scale of New York compared to the United Kingdom, which I, I think most people don't understand how tiny the United Kingdom is compared to the rest of the world. <laughs> And, and we yeah, have I got no, my history lesson too. Yeah, well, we have no concept of real distance, um, you know, because <laughs> unless we leave the United Kingdom and go somewhere else, we don't really get a concept of how the scale of other countries, because you know the U United Kingdom is tiny, and I don't think people understand. As you and I were talking about, people don't really understand <laughs> just just how small yeah. the United Kingdom is. <laughs> It's, uh, it's it's all relative. It's all relative. But yes, once you go out and explore, you see how big the vast the world is. It's so yeah. much to see and do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's fast. It's fast. So we today we're going to talk about a book. And if it's okay with you, I'll I'll let you do the introduction and the explanation. Sure. So the book uh, it's called Life Interrupted: Doctor Dewar's Survival Guide. And it's basically a series of blogs that were written by my late brother, who was 34 at the time, and he was battling oral cancer. And this was written by the time he had two surgeries, the cancer had returned, and he knew the end was near, and he had resigned to the fact that this is it. And he was fighting this during COVID in Canada, and I was in New York. And... Um, he wanted this to be completed and published as a book. And it was his reflections of life as he faced his own mortality. And he didn't fight anything. It, I think he went through all the stages of grief and this was his acceptance. And he wanted to leave something good and positive behind for the world. Uh, unfortunately, he passed before he could make this book a book. And after his passing, I got the writings together and published. And that's why it's named Life Interrupted. His life was, and he called it his survival guide. That's where the Dua, Dr. Dua survival guide comes in. And I wrote the foreword and the epilogue to why this book is what it is. And um, it got featured, actually, since you're here in the UK, um, it got featured in the American and the Canadian, but as well as the British Dental Journal um, yes. for what it is. Yeah, because we're both dentists as a frame of reference to your audience. I'm a dentist. And my younger brother and followed my footsteps and uh yeah so we were both dentists and this was our field so just for the audience of the listeners 
how did where and how did you and your brother grow up oh my goodness here's fun stuff <laughs> so our upbringings are very different even though we have the same parents um i actually was born in india and i was probably like five or six we moved to middle east which is abu dhabi and there i went to an international school and funnily enough manu was born there in abu dhabi uh, that's the United Arab Emirates. And Manu went to a British school. And till he was in his primary education, he had a British accent. Um, it was the al Khobarat school. And, and then he migrated with my parents to Canada in his early teens. I had actually, by that time, we have a big age gap. We're almost eight years apart. I was in the United States. I was uh, doing my undergrad and dental school in the United States. And then I moved back to Canada to be with my family and then got married and moved to uh, New York. And then I've just been island hopping. <laughs> we lived in Staten Island before we moved to Long Island. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so both well-traveled then? Very, yes, very well-traveled. Um, not only living in different parts of the world, but also visiting. Yeah. So, yeah. But there's something important about when um, it's that difference between visiting and living. Because living is a, a much different experience. Absolutely. And every culture where we've lived, I mean, Abu Dhabi is a predominantly Muslim. They have a different set of lifestyle. Um, and then going that to Oklahoma, which is a little bit more conservative, um, and then to New York, which is vibrant and full of people from around the world. And so... You know, we got exposure from all different aspects of life. And it makes you empathetic. It makes you more understanding. It makes you resilient to change. That's the only constant we have in life. And, you know, it's adjusting to a new climate, making new friends, um, a new, you know, and it's silly things like I came to, uh, so Canadians talk a little bit very, it's got a more of a European influence, right? Yeah. And so... When I came to the U.S., I'd say, oh, can I have your postal code? And they're like, what on earth is postal code? It's the zip code. You know, it's something yeah, yeah, silly like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but everything in, in the U.S. is a little bit different. The way we write our dates, the way, you know, there's no you, like an honor, a neighborhood, little spelling stuff. But but that's what I'm saying. It's um, realizing that we need to change to adapt to our society yeah. and and not lose ourselves in it. So how did it come about that you discovered that your brother had cancer? So Manu had a lesion on the side of his tongue. And he told me in June, he's like, you know, I've got this thing on my tongue. It's been bothering me. Took a picture, sent it over. I showed it to five other oral surgeons. And everybody said it was cancer. And unfortunately, I think there was denial. Uh, he's like, I'm 30. He was 31 at that time. He wasn't, he, he was just about to turn 32 in the end of June. And he's like, I can't have cancer. I'm, you know, healthy. He played rugby. He, he played rugby all through in, in, uh, high school. He was golfing and kayaking and squash. You couldn't beat him on the court. He's like, I can't have cancer. I'm healthy. I'm, I don't smoke. And, that delayed the diagnosis. Uh, he was under the care and he was put on medications without being known that it is cancer. So he's being treated without knowing the diagnosis. 
and he was on steroids, which immunocompromised him even further. So by the time the diagnosis came, right after his 32nd birthday, it was a stage two with lymph node involvement. And that's when he called me and he, he told me before he told our parents, he's like, this is cancer. And he got treated. He had half his tongue removed, grafted, uh, portions taken from his arm, a skin graft from his leg. And he recovered remarkably well. Within a month, he traveled from Calgary to New York to visit me. He was back seeing patients within two months. But that mental fogginess, exhaustion from anybody who's gone through cancer treatment, such a radical surgery, it was an eight-hour multi-specialty surgery. Um, unfortunately, the cancer returned just when COVID hit in March of 2020. And... He had to go through another round of surgery because the cancer returned the lymph node involvement on his neck. There were some lymph nodes still left that caused swelling. So he had that removal, another neck dissection, chemo radiation on his 34th birthday. And then he um, that's when he sold his practice in the summer and started writing because he knew that, you know, and there was also a lung, um, lung lesion that... We weren't sure what was going on. Uh, by the time that it was discovered that it was cancer, it was a little too late. It was November, towards the end of 2020, um, that the lung metastasis had happened and that the metastasis was down to his bones in the legs. So it was quite rapid, very aggressive, um, and he was a shell of the person he used to be. Was there a period where he discussed with you about the book and what his intentions oh, yes. were. So how did that come so, about? Sure. So in December of 2020, when the cab, um, cancer had progressed and we got the PET scans that it's spread all over his body, at that time, borders between the U.S. and Canada were closed and you had to get a compassion release from the government of Canada. And I think the U.K. and the rest of the world were pretty much like that. Australia was also closed. And that paper is very hard to obtain. It's an eight-page process that the doctors, Manu's doctors had to sign, my parents had to sign, where I was going to quarantine. And my parents didn't want me coming because I was not vaccinated. Manu was immunocompromised. And I had known from other friends of mine, seeing his reports, that Manu's not going to last. And he's got a few more months there is no, he's not going to be around till you get the vaccine. Like you need to go. Um, so that was a challenge on its own, get the PCR testing. And that's when I flew in December to see him, not knowing it would be the last time I'd see him alive. And then he showed, I mean, I knew he was writing, he would share his stories with me. Uh, but then that's when he expressed that, look, I really want to be published. I said, great. He was single, not married. There was no other outlet. Friends were very limited. He was in isolation for a lot of his treatment because of COVID, because of his condition. And so this was his outlet. I'm like, keep writing. I will find you a publisher. I'll work on this. You keep writing. And then when I found a publisher in February, he's like, I want to write more. I'm not ready to publish it yet. I said, okay, whenever you're ready, I'll make it happen. And after his passing, I walked into his house, picked up the mail, and there was some of the writings he'd published in a dental magazine. 
And I said, you know what? I'm going to do this now that I couldn't do for him when he was alive. So, yeah, he had shared and he had expressed himself that he wanted to be published. When uh, after you know, you're reading through the, the, the writings, everything he's got to say, and it, it must be sort of like listening to the past while exploring the present, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And it's in first, it's a first hand, right? He's a first yeah. person. So it's like he's still talking to me. That's, that's what I mean. So it's listening to the past. Yeah. You're exploring it all in the present. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's probably very hard not to hear it in his voice. So, he's, so I, you know, I, I'm imagining that it's, it's still, whilst reading, it, it feels like he's very much still with you, as if you could just pick up the yes. phone and discuss with, with him what he's just written. Yeah. Did you learn anything about yourself that surprised you? How resilient and strong I am. Because of our upbringing, I didn't have the circle of friends and family that I grew up with. When I was in mourning, we were still in the middle of COVID. I couldn't properly have a funeral for him in Canada uh, because we were allowed only 20 people. And my parents, of course, distraught. It was very hard for them to plan a funeral. My dad would not speak at the uh, eulogy. Um, I had to do that, pick out the coffin. My mom couldn't pick out the clothes. A lot of it was left for me to do. And I didn't have any other siblings or cousins or anybody to help me through um, as far as family is concerned, my immediate. And then to have to leave my elderly grieving parents back in Canada and then come back to resume life with my young children, a practice in the middle of COVID where shutdowns had happened and just trying to bring that up and play the roles of life and still be grieving in all of it and not have anybody to lean on this village to protect me. I had to create it. And for me to, you know, publish this book and get it out there and talk about it and now I'm lecturing and bringing awareness to oral cancer. I didn't think I had it in me to actually get through it. It's been a tough journey. And and I think part of it is our upbringing that we were taught to be resilient and, and be strength. We have to come from inside rather than pulling it from outside, getting strength from within. How do you feel about it now? I would never wish it on anyone. And I wish I could have changed things. I did the best I could at the time that I had. And I'm proud of whatever I've accomplished. And I hope that Manu's out there being like, all right, I did my job. And thanks for carrying my legacy. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you've talked about having, you had to take on, I think responsibility, I was going to use the word responsibility, but I, I think that does it a misservice. It certainly doesn't do it justice because it, it was clearly, that there's clearly a, a lot of love for your brother. So, I, you know, so I think, like I said, responsibility, I think it's too clumsy. Um, but there, there is the pressure of taking on everything for your parents. And 
you, you know, you, you're trying to achieve so much to make sure it's right for your brother. However, you're also the one that has to deal with everything. And one of the things which is such about young children and young children don't recognize what's going on in the outside world. You know, what's important to them is who's taking their toy in the moment. Not that you're trying to plan yeah. a family funeral. So yeah. If, if you could have stopped the time for a moment, do you know when there's, you, you talked about recognizing how strong and resilient you were. And in those moments where you wanted to maybe just be weak, let the pressure go. If you could have stopped time, so you could have just had that moment for however long, what would you have done? Taking a breath. With all that was happening, and I'm going to be honest about it, I had an anxiety, uh, panic attacks, where I just couldn't breathe. I just wanted a moment to catch up to my feelings, um, to process what was going on. Because, you know, when you're grieving and you have to do these things and it's just like, go, go, go. The obituary has to be done. There needs to be something posted on the funeral website. Flowers need to be ordered. This needs to be done. It's just go, go, go. Your mind is not processing what's actually happening, what your body is doing. And it hits you a few months later, like, what did you just do? Like, I cremated my youngest sibling. I held his ashes in my hands. I didn't get to hold his babies. I'm holding his ashes. Like, it's just surreal when you think about what actually transpired. That, that's the thing, isn't Let me it? just process. I just need a minute. Yeah, because it, it's that, that's the thing, isn't it? Because there's the thing about grief in particular is grief doesn't care about what's going on in the world. It doesn't care about how long it takes. And as you were describing everything that's going on, and obviously I've read the bio that was sent through to me, there seems to be, you know, and, and you've added so many points, like, you know, an eight-page document just so you can get from one country to another. There seems to have been this whirlwind, and I was just kind of wondering, like, I wonder at what point you were able to just literally take a breath and think about you. Yeah, and I had to carve that time out for myself. And I realized if I don't take care of me, no one else is. If I don't say, and when you're grieving, especially during the holidays, it's a very tough time because you're missing that one person. Cancer still holds a place in our table. And, and if you don't tell people around you, like, I need a minute. And if you don't feel like you're ready to be in a space where there is happiness because you're not internally happy, you're still grieving. And it's okay to allow yourself that space and be like, give me a few minutes. And I have walked out of events. I have walked out of parties uh, or not attended them because I just couldn't be in this. I'm like, I'm bringing negative energy. I'm going to take a walk. Mm. I'll be back. And allowing yourself. And I think that's. One of the key things that I've learned is allowing myself that space, that energy, and telling my husband 
uh, that look when I say just kind of cover me. <laughs> yeah, I will be back. <laughs> it's just I need a minute. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's important to. I, th- I think sometimes when um, when I'm coaching clients and doing therapy and stuff is, like I said, when it comes to grief is understanding that you too need a minute, that you need that opportunity to, to take a breath and kind of like if you're going to beat yourself up, do so with a feather. And yeah. be, and like you say, just, just knowing when to say, hey, can you just cover me? So I can just just go outside and take a breath. Um, one of the things that personally interested me when this um, when I was first asked if we could speak is um, my my oldest friend is a guy called Matthew, and I had him on the podcast a couple of months ago, and he has terminal cancer. He has a brain tumor, and it's terminal. And interestingly, he and I hadn't spoken for a while. We'd had a bit of a kind of falling out, like like silly boys do. And he obviously he was diagnosed with being terminally ill. Uh, it started as lung cancer, and then I think that has actually cleared up a little bit. And, and then he found out he had a brain tumor, and he's terminal. So he he reached out, and we had a long conversation. We even did a podcast together because he wanted to talk about it. And one of the things I discovered, which I said to him in the middle of the podcast, is when I was being honest with myself, my curiosity and the questions I wanted to ask him was not because I was really that interested, this sounds horrible, that I was that interested in what he had to say, it was I was hoping that fear that if the same thing happened to me, he'd have the answers. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, I, I totally get it. Yeah, and it was it was a hard thing to acknowledge as I was talking to him, but I, I didn't want to be dishonest about it because I, you know, you I, I realized it's like oh actually I'm scared this will happen to me. Yeah, and and that's what it is, right? I think that's part of survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. I know you guys are friends, so it's a little bit different. Yes, yeah, different different context, definitely. Different context, but yes, anything can happen to anybody, right? You could walk across the street, get hit by a car. Um, and you're like, what if it was somebody else who had stepped on? Or what if I had done something li- differently? Something or the other had changed the course of, you know, um, how things transpired. And I think that comes with survivor's guilt, which I have, because we share the same gene pool. Yeah. Why him? Why not me? Yeah. You know? And what am I chance? Uh, now giving my children and giving the same genetic makeup what if my our grandmother died of cancer stage four different form but there's cancer history and now this generation my brother has it am i passing it down to my children with no fault of my own yeah right it's nobody's fault there's no blame to blame there's nobody anything did wrong um and that's hard because it's I don't think you can, and I think with your friend too, it's like, why him? And I'm sure he's had many questions. What did, what could he have done different? But, when him and I spoke, we didn't, he didn't really have that. He didn't really have that. The main thing, the main theme of it that came out is 
he he just had which is one of the reasons he wanted to talk to me again and connect he said he couldn't he didn't want to go with any grudges or burnt bridges he said he he had to have peace with everybody with nothing he said i don't want anything back from anyone i just want to be able to tell everyone it doesn't matter i'm okay with it right right it's at the end you realize what's truly important yeah and and of course i i found yeah. myself and still find myself confused about that because he 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 i remember him telling me the story about he contacted an ex-girlfriend um who he'd had a long-term sort of relationship they'd been living together and they split up and he said he spent half an hour just trying to explain to her he didn't want anything from her he didn't want anything from her at all he didn't want to get back together he did you know, he said, I just want you to know. He just had to purge himself of all animosities that, like, right. I want you to know I have no you regrets about Yeah. And I, yeah, and I, you just want to go with a clean slate. Yeah, and, and I found it, I, and I still am both baffled and fascinated by this desire that, they, that he has and other people that I've spoken to who have, have terminal illnesses this desire to just empty all the weight they want to take nothing with them but yeah and it's not internal it's almost external because they want you to know that's how they feel and they want you to yeah. feel the same and i always wonder is it something from another like another phase of life you know that next place you go on to like an inner calling I an instinct that says to them look you can't take this with you you have to make sure everybody knows I agree. I really think it is. I, uh, if with Manu's writings, he talks about finding his internal peace. He talks about, and he kept his circle, his inner circle very, very close and very exclusive. Like, you know, people would contact family that hasn't been around for many years, would be like, Oh, we need to talk to him. He's like, No, I'm not interested. You haven't reached out to me all these years now that I'm dying. I'm really not interested at this time. You know, Matthew and he said just the same, kept, actually. yeah, yeah, said the same. and and he just kept his close people and he wrote about, you know, his parents, our parents, how they value, how they meant to him. Like he wanted them to be acknowledged. And he talks about, you know, we're just chasing all these things, but at the end, nothing of that matters. It's the people that you have and the meaning that you left behind. And, you know, your deeds is what you'd be remembered by. He, and he talked, same thing. He talks about finding internal peace. And I think just like your friend, he's trying to find his peace before, you know, it's time. Like clear out all the, all the bad stuff and, and be able to say, in a way, it's kind of, it's good and bad. When you know your time is limited, you try to say your goodbyes. And you say the things you want to say. You may not have been afforded a chance yeah. otherwise. Did you learn anything about your brother you didn't know? Uh, that he was very wise. <laughs> that I gave him credit for. <laughs> I mean, he was my kid brother. I changed his diapers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> he learned how to walk in front of me. I scribble all over my notebook. So yeah, he was my kid brother. Um, but as he grew up, I think somewhere the roles have reversed and more so now than ever. Yeah. 
there is a trying to think what do you think your brother was able to put down in the book from his perspective what do you think the message was that he wanted to put down that he did put down I think internally he knew the mistakes he had made one of the biggest mistakes was not pushing for this earlier diagnosis um and it was his mistake to make, you know, he didn't push. And I, he talks about how he has made mistakes all his life and how you learn from them and you get up and not blame yourself for the mistakes, but learn from them and change how you do things. And I think at some point he went through those stages of grief. He went through like denial and acceptance and bargaining and, and all of the stages. And I think that was his biggest thing. Like, I made a mistake. I learned from it. And I hope you guys learn from mine. Mm. How did he live his life? He left it to the fullest. He did exactly what he wanted to do. Um, he really did. He lived it to the fullest. He didn't think of... He was very frank and honest. There was no like grayness about him. He liked you. He'd tell you he liked you. He didn't like you. He didn't want to be around you. There was no sugarcoating anything around him. And so, you know how we always, or at least I do, like, we're like, yeah, I don't want to go there. I have to do it because my parents said so. I have to. It's just obligated of me. None of that. So he was very um, determined the way he wanted to go. He was even to the last end. He did things on his own terms and that gave him control. Like he loved chocolate and he loved sweets. Like that's all I would ever buy him was chocolates. And whenever I visited him and towards the end, he stopped eating chocolates. He stopped eating sugar and he stopped. He had like, he loved pizza. He worked at a pizza place when he was in undergrad and he stopped He's like, I don't want carbs. I'm going to be on a keto diet because I'm going to starve the cancer cells. It's better for the cancer. And he was so determined that he knew he was dying and he did not eat the foods that he knew would make it worse for him. So he's like, they told me to have boost. This is all sugar. I'm not going to have it. I'm going to do this. I'm, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. He did his own research, pulled yeah. up studies, got on the keto diet. This is what I'm saying. He lived life. Uh, the way he wanted to. And that's pretty commendable uh, for his age. Yeah. In, um, if, if somebody's listening to this, um, what are the symptoms? What, what should people look out for? And actually, sure. what, what, what should you do about it? So one of the things is anything that's not healing within two weeks, whatever it is on your... Let's say you have braces, you have an appliance, you cut yourself, burnt it on eating a pizza, scraped your tongue, side of your cheek, whatever, brushing, anything. Anything should heal within two weeks. Even if you have like a sore, like an ulcer, um, you get from stress, like an aphthys, you have a herpetic lesion, you have shingles, anything that transpires in the mouth should heal within two weeks. And if it doesn't, whether it's painful or not, 
get a biopsy. The earlier you get the biopsy, the more conservative the treatment, the better the chances of survival. Because it's such a close area to the lymph nodes, um, once the cancer spreads into the lymph, your survival rate within five years drops to 50%. No. Um, HPV, which is the human papillomavirus, that's the reason why there is a higher incidence of oral cancer. So to get the HPV vaccine when, you know, especially in your uh, preteens uh, for your children. But if you have deviation of your tongue, you have trouble swallowing, you have a lymph node, like an enlarged lymph node not related to a cold, or and it's only on one side of the mouth or one side of the body on the neck, that should be a little alarming because if it's bilateral on both sides, then it's okay. You got a cold, you got a sore throat, but if it's only one and it's prolonging and now you're having trouble constantly, you got to get it checked out and get a scope done. Um, so just recognizing, paying attention to your body. It's interesting is your, your brother being a dentist would have known all of that. And like you said, there's that moment he had to, I suppose, confront himself that it could have been yes. different. Um, yeah, we and, all uh, yeah, and I, I think that's something we all struggle with. That it is, and I'm I'm uncertain as to why it affects so many of us. Where we we just like judging what it will be okay. I won't, you know, it will it will get better. It will be fine. And then, like you say, you know, four or five weeks later, you know, he, he sends you a picture, and you send it to five of your colleagues, and you're like, no, that's not that's not good, and. He would have yeah. known. He would have known that himself before he sent it to you. And yeah, because he was hurting. You know, and when I talked to his friends, uh, he sent me the picture in March, in June. Um, a couple of friends are like, "Yeah, we were at a conference in March, and he complained about you know he's having trouble eating certain foods. It was bothering him." And he's like, "Yeah, I think I bit my tongue. I, I don't know. It's been bothering me for a little while. It just..." I feel a little down, like nothing clicked. And I think that was the denial that I can't have cancer. It was just not on the radar. It really wasn't. And he talks about that. He talks about that in his book. I'm like the shoemaker whose own shoe is broken. You know, the irony of it all. Um, but it it is what it is. And I cannot change the past. I cannot bring him back. And it's just now to make the awareness that, Yes, does, it can happen. Age has no barrier. Does he explain in the book, or did he explain to you in person, how he accept, how he went from that transition of being in denial? And, and you briefly mentioned it earlier, that it was his own fault, that he had to accept that actually he'd got it wrong, he'd made the mistake. Did And, and the reason I ask is because sometimes I think people beat themselves up the most because they just won't they they don't want to let go and forgive themselves for just getting something wrong um i think he had forgiven himself because he he says that we're human and we're going to make mistakes and the point is not to make the same mistake over and over again it's to learn from them and to stand up i don't think he he was not angry at himself. He was pretty much at peace with it all. Um, 
how did he get to that? Yeah, how did he transition? I don't know. How did he transition? That's tough because he doesn't really write about it. And he was very closed. He really shut out the world uh, for a little time from his initial surgery. He was like, okay, I got the initial surgery. I'm going to beat this. Then it came back. And it was even hard for me to accept it that he's going to go. And I don't know where he's like, you know what? This is it. I, I'm just, he never gave up. Yeah. But at some point he had made, he's like, he never resigned that, okay, I have cancer. Come on, what may, and you know, whatever it is, it is. No, he was still fighting, but somewhere along, I'm not quite sure where he said, I think that's when he sold his practice and he started tying up loose ends and he started, you know, saying like, oh, here's my statement, my will, what he wants to do with certain things. I think that's where he just accepted him. And he never really talked about that, where he just said, okay, it is what it is. And I'm just going to have to deal with this now. Were you ever angry? Mm, yeah. And still am in some ways. Uh, because I have seen god awful people <laughs> in my one in my walks of life. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. There's yeah, no, I do, because who... it is hard when that happens. You know, yeah. because there's yeah. some bloody horrible people out there that bring no benefit yeah. to the world at all. Yes. And you just like you know, screw you. I know. And I look at them and I'm like, what? You know, and it's, and it's unfair. It feels so unfair and unjust. Very unfair. Unjust. And, you know, my parents are the most kindest, most honest people you ever meet. And I don't say that because they're my parents. I genuinely, they just are. They always taught me, like, don't accept from somebody if you cannot give it back. You know, don't take advantage of mm. people. Always do the right thing. You know, never lie because you can never take track of your lies. Mm. But the truth has only one, you know, yeah. there's only one truth. You'll never be able to mess that up. So, you know, own up to your mistakes. Like, like they've grown us up and they valued education and you know, as an Indian descent, they still valued me as a woman to be educated and go out and be able to stand on your own two feet. And there's a lot to be said. Like when they moved me to the U.S., I, they were still in Abu Dhabi. And this is pre-internet days, right? We yeah. had <laughs> calling cards. And so to have that much faith in me um, and they gave both of us the same kind of liberties. And my dad rose from nothing. He, he he didn't have a father growing up, and he watched his only parent die of cancer in a very traumatic way. And history repeated itself. I remember being in Abu Dhabi, and I was 14. And my mom, they were taking turns when my grandmother, my paternal grandmother was dying, taking take care of her by my maternal grandparents and so my parents would take turns and she had died on my mom's visit and she called my dad up and I remember that conversation Manu was with my mom in India and my dad and I were in Abu Dhabi I was middle of uh, 
seventh grade. And she said, you need to come now. And my dad asked, is she gone? And she said, you just need to come. She's in a coma. You need to come. Because she had passed and she had to go do the final rites. And, you know, 28 years later, in another part of the world, Manu went into the hospital on a Friday night. And Saturday, I was at work and I called my parents. I'm like, what's going on? Manu went to the hospital. You know, it's a common occurrence with cancer. There's always something going on. And they're like, we're meeting with the palliative team. He's moving into hospice. We'll call you in the evening. And, you know, time changed. They were two hours behind. By the time I got a hold of them, it was 10 o'clock in New York. And my mom finally picked up the phone. And she, they're all alone. Like, it's just the two of them. And she said, I don't care what you have to do. Get on a plane and come here now. You're needed. He's not going to make it. I was going to travel a week later. He's not going to make it for a week. You need to. That same conversation I heard as a 14-year-old, I heard as a 40-some-year-old. And it just blows my mind. There was so much resentment and anger. Like, why Manu? Why again? Why my parents? Why all these questions? And yeah, and there's still anger when I see families living full lives, having cousins, things that were stolen from me uh, that by no fault. My kids are like, why don't we have any younger cousins? I'm like, well, because mom doesn't have any <laughs> siblings to get you cousins. You know, it's that loss. It, you know, it's not even a loss of just Manu. It's a loss of the future. And when I have to say goodbye to my parents, when they cross over, I'm going to sit on that table of the funeral home and I'm going to have to do it all alone. And I'm going to be pissed at Manu. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you left me <laughs> to do all the hard work <laughs> and you're off. <laughs> so, yeah, anger is a present and I have to learn to accept it. It's funny. You said something then. It reminded me of a conversation I had with my mum. And her dad passed away first many, many years ago, back in the 80s. Uh, I think my granddad was 81 and I think my nan was 86 or 87. But yeah. When her mum, because her dad had passed first, there was a moment shortly after when her mum passed away. She said she was sitting there and she had this realisation she was nobody's daughter anymore. Yeah. And she said that's, that's when it hit her really hard because she was I'm not anyone's daughter. And, 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 and even yeah. when, when she tells the story, she it hits her. You can see it, it still hits her. So... If, if there was a possible way, if this, I've got two questions both related around the same thing. If it was possible through some form of religious, spiritual magic, whatever, that you could have a moment to talk to your brother wherever he is now, how would you express that anger to him? What would you want him to I feel about it? I wouldn't want him to feel that I was angry at him. I, 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 uh, that, that I know, that I know. How would you? <laughs> I would just tell him. Sorry, give me a minute. <laughs> no, all the time, all the time you want. I would tell him that I'm alone. A sibling, especially the life that we led, is a witness to your life you had. 
your parents' nuances, the silliness, the memories. They know the scar you got. You know, they know that the time you got yelled at, they know the time that you did something wrong and you covered it up. They know the silliness in you, how you grew up from a teenager to an adult to, in my case, a mom. How we changed as people, how he grew up. I know him. How our accents change depending on the country we lived in. <laughs> and, you know, they bear witness. And you're walking parallel side by side. And, and I'd be angry that you left me halfway. You're supposed to be with me all the way through. You were supposed to, you know, different kind of partner, like, you know, your husband's your partner, your kids. I, I kid around and I said to have my own family, I had to give birth to my own children because I'm not related by blood to anyone yeah. besides my parents. And that, and that's what I would be angry about. You left me alone to pick up all the pieces as if I didn't have enough work to do. <laughs> yeah. How would you express your love? I just give him, if I got to see him again, I would just hold on to him. I wish I had spent more time with him. I didn't realize how limited we were given. And we never lived in the same country for very long. Um, and I'd be like, I wish I'd spend more time with you. That's nice. And if I could give that back. Yeah. That's good. That's probably a beautiful place to finish. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And if you would like more information, please check out the description and the links, which will go to the website and to the book. Hope you enjoyed that episode. And yeah, I'd be interested in your comments. What would you say? What would you say? And thank you for listening. Please, as always, do above all else, take care of yourself. Thank you.